0: Welcome to the Ad Astor podcast. Today we have with us Terry Gee. Welcome. Um, Terry is a um, visiting faculty at the Burgham. Young University in Idaho. I hope I I said that correctly. Uh, well, welcome uh, to to our podcast. Um, well, our invitation, and I'll let Elena uh, speak about that, uh, has to do with your work um, with your PhD um, dissertation on the defense of astrology
1: strategies on defending astrology mm-hmm. that I have quoted abundantly in my PhD Mm -hmm. and uh, it has also quoted yes and um it is a very interesting a very interesting work because you address um the several strategies of uh defending astrology Mm -hmm. or like proving its validity throughout time but Mm -hmm. if I understood it correctly and this is kind of an exam for me (laughs) if I understood (laughs) it correctly they they um you have three examples Ptolemy, Masahala, and uh, Roger Bacon. Abu Mashar. Yes, Abu Mashar, I'm sorry. I always confuse them for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Although they are quite different. Yeah. But, uh, they Both of them, they derive from Ptolemy. I mean, Ptolemy was the one who, who, who worked to take astrology out of the mythological uh, frame, mm-hmm. making it more rational. Mm-hmm. And then both uh, the other authors would um, take from him and uh, adapt to their own uh, times and cultures got it right yes okay okay yes. Good. <laughs> very good <laughs>
0: yeah and I, I think also it's it's an excellent topic and i think it's a topic that hasn't been developed enough because there's i always say this but there's a lot of uh, things written about the attacks on astrology and the criticism of astrology, and very, very little in the whole defense and apology of astrology that the the practitioners do throughout time, throughout astrology's existence. And I think your work ends up to be one of the few extensive discussions on on this topic. Um, And I, I would start to ask you, how did you get uh, into that this specific topic? Uh, how did you reach this topic?
2: It, it was kind of a long route because I didn't start my uh, my grad school experience thinking I was doing astrology at all. I was actually starting out in classical astronomy because that was really what I had studied. I had a minor in classics for my bachelor's degree, and so. But when I got to the University of Toronto, after I finished my master's, um, and I was looking at my master's paper, and I didn't really feel like there was a whole lot I could do more with it. It felt like I had kind of done what I'd said, and that was it. And so I was looking for something else to do. And my advisor, um, Alex Jones, suggested that I get into looking at Islam, which I hadn't ever really studied at all. And I met Um, Ingrid Heymeyer, who is a professor at Ryerson University in Toronto. uh, And she began to introduce me to the study of Islam and science in Islam, which I was not familiar with. So it was something that was really intriguing to me, but I didn't want to give up all of the work I had done on classical um, science as well, because I'd spent so much time studying that. So what I ended up doing initially was looking at astrology as foreign science something that was imported into different cultures but that didn't end up giving me the kind of the focus that I wanted and so what I ended up doing is deciding to do case studies rather than trying to address everything everything on one small topic I wanted to do three case studies as a way of introducing this concept of what patterns can we see in defending astrology because it's as you mentioned, I found very few papers that were really dedicated to just defending astrology. Most of it was on how they attack it. And I'm like, well, we know how they attack it. That's, there's lots of that. And I wanted to see what else there was. Mm -hmm. And so um, I chose the three I chose because Ptolemy, just because he is so influential in astronomy, but also in astrology. And then I chose Abu Mashar, because of his prominence in Islam, and then Roger Bacon, just because his opus mias is so wide-ranging and so detailed, I thought this was a great way of looking into how people in this, in that time frame in the Middle Ages in Europe, might have gone about this defense, and it had the benefit of um, Abu Mashar cites Ptolemy and Roger Bacon cites both Abu Mashar and Ptolemy. And so I had this connection that was an explicit connection with all three. And so having that made it a lot easier to continue. And I considered adding in an, a fourth, um, doing Firmicus Maternus or Vettius Valens in Rome. But then I decided I wanted to keep this pattern mm-hmm. just with Ptolemy because I didn't see much citations happening for Vettius Valens and um and Firmicus Maternus in the other texts. And so I thought I just keep it just to those three. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Yes, Uh, one of the the things that um, it becomes very interesting in your work is that they change the um, argument, so to say. Uh, So um, although um, Ptolemy is more about uh, being rational Mm -hmm. and Abu Marsha is more about being uh, useful uh, and uh, when we come to Roger Bacon because he's a Christian, he has to defend it from the criticism of the religion of the church. So it's more about not being dangerous. So um, that is well that is something that I found very very interesting and it was actually uh, very <laughs> useful to me when I had to to explain um, how astrology had had to defend itself. Um, I think um, one of the strong, for me, one of the strong uh, points in your work is that you're not afraid, and I I, I find this remarkable, you're not afraid of addressing the the great topic of determinism, Mm -hmm. because it's such a you know <laughs> it is yeah it it w- it started out being a
2: bigger part of it and then as i was realizing what kind of a black hole that was <laughs> it became one aspect of what i was doing rather than the focus of what i was doing cuz i was thinking if i only do this i'm never going to finish <laughs> But but you were, I think you were very, very brave because it's such a difficult topic. Oh, yes. It is, yes. It is. I, I didn't realize how difficult it was when I started because I'm not really a philosopher. I'm a historian. And so I hadn't really got into determinism except as it was mentioned in these different texts. And so when I started working on it, um, I kind of got called out on, do you realize what you're doing? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> don't realize. Now it's, too late. <laughs> <laughs> now it's too late. I can't give it up completely. And so what yeah. we did is we just said, okay, this is just, we won't make this the focus of what you're doing because mm-hmm. you can't get into all of it with everyone. Yeah. And so if it's just one of the aspects, then it's not something I have to be able to completely mm-hmm. thoroughly um, do. But I don't know if you notice. there's one footnote in... Oh, I don't remember which chapter it is. There's one footnote that is like a page long all by itself. And that was my attempt to say, yes, I am familiar with how this topic is. Now let's move on. Exactly.
0: It's one of those desperate citations where you say, footnotes where you say well we know there's a lot of things to say here it's very complicated we don't have time to do it we're not talking about this but (laughs) i know what i just
1: want to show you that i am aware of it
2: yes (laughs) yeah Yeah, and the thing is it's so important you can't not mention it and so i thought well okay i'll do what i can to at least say i am aware of how crazy this is and then we'll just kind of keep going (laughs) and i didn't get called out on it during my defense thank goodness Oh, that, I think my footnote was big enough that they were yeah. like, okay, she knows.
1: <laughs> yes, it was impressive.
2: <laughs> yeah. I,
0: think, I think you do make the point uh, very well in w- what are you talking about? <laughs> there is no doubt about that. And I think that that saves you from the the black hole. <laughs> <code laughs> <the determinism. laughs>
2: yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I really, I had no idea what I was getting into when I started with the determinism until about... I'd been working on this stuff for like a year and then all of a sudden I'm like oh and I one of my uh, one of my committee just said do you realize what you're doing (laughs) no
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, for example uh, in my thesis because I'm dealing with the Jesuits and it's a religious order Mm -hmm. I cannot do anything without discussing the, the position of the Catholic Church which is extremely complicated and has a millennia of history of, of debate around astrology and it's more or less it's not exactly as black, black hole as uh, a as,
1: it smaller black hole, as, <laughs> smaller
0: black hole. <laughs> as a terminus but it has a lesser gravitational pull but it's still <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and you have to go around it, and you have to say a little bit about everything, summarize mm-hmm. it as much as you can, and then okay, yeah. let's move on. No,
1: but a- a- yeah. as in every good black hole, as soon as you get to the event horizon, time stops, and we cannot... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when we go out, three hundred years have passed. <laughs> yes, it's, really, it's really yeah. a big topic, and yes. I appreciate it very much that you had made all this brave work for us really because i'm glad it could help <laughs> really you managed to you managed to to be so concise
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and so quotable <laughs>
0: it's thank one of you. those things thank god someone mentioned this so i don't have to
1: <laughs> we are very grateful <laughs> thank you I'm glad it could help <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no but for you it was also very very useful because yeah. Louise has to deal with determinism um, every step I, of the way I
0: have, to, I have to run away from it as much as I can and focus <laughs> just on the side yeah and then there's yeah. the determinism but they, they don't like it
2: uh. <laughs> yeah that's like if you're doing Christianity you have to at least say yeah they don't like determinism <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, then, and then I'm dealing with um, an astrology that is completely shaped on this strictures and this, in these Christian strictures. And at a mm-hmm. time where, while, while in, in until the 15th century, you there are they're there, but you don't really have to follow them rigidly. By my time, you have a bull, you have the Index, you have the Inquisition, so things are really yeah. scanned through and very thorough. You have to be very careful. With what you say and the way you say it. So everything is quite strict and you have to navigate Mm for that. (laughs) That's one of the
2: reasons I stopped with Roger Bacon and didn't go any later.
0: Yes, (laughs) very well, or else you'll be still writing it probably. Very wise, (laughs)
2: very
1: wise. (laughs) um, uh, Bacon is a bit, um, I would say, incoherent or irregular because. He says in some places that the stars are merely signs, and and then in the other, I don't remember if it is in Opus Maius or in the Secreto Secretorum, but in the other book, he says that they are causes and not signs. And I don't know if he, he changed his mind, probably, so we should keep away from, <laughs> from this as much as
2: possible. Well, one thing with Roger Bacon, at least with the Opus Maius, he wrote it so quickly, I think it's almost a foregone conclusion that he would have some things that didn't quite match up because he, was, he had to write it, I think in less than a year mm. in order to get it. And then it ended up that there was a different Pope and he couldn't send it anyway. But he, he was basically, he kind of faked out the, the Pope by saying, I'm almost done. And he hadn't started writing. And he goes, <laughs> okay, then get it to me in a few months and say, oh, okay. <laughs> and so he wrote that really fast. And I think that's probably part of the reason for some of the um, inconsistencies is that he didn't have time to go back and check and make sure he was consistently saying things the same way. Because, yeah, I I noticed it when I was looking through his defense of astrology that there are times when some of the stuff he's saying, you're like, are you sure this is what you meant? (laughs) Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, like one of the ones that really intrigued me was his reference to Moses. Um, I can't remember. I think I I put it in a later paper that I wrote that I did gave at a conference. Um, I don't think it's actually in my dissertation, but he has this whole thing about Moses where he says that the story of um, Aaron and, and Miriam criticizing Moses because he had been married to an Ethiopian woman or something in the book of Numbers and in and what Roger Bacon says is that he took a gemstone and made it into a talisman under the sign of a particular star and gave it to this Ethiopian princess that he had married so she would forget they were married. Yeah, I remember this. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I mean, that doesn't sound like she had any choice in the matter. <laughs> and so there's this. He goes through and he's like trying to make sure he's fitting in with all his doctrine. And then he takes an actual Bible story and turns it into here is, yeah, you can use astrology to make people do things. Well, <laughs> 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 And then, <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's this little thing, and there's no commentary on it. It doesn't seem to even realize what he has said and how that contradicts other things that he's said. Yeah. Other where, other places.
0: That's, yes. that's one one of the mysteries uh, sometimes these authors have, that...
1: They seem to forget. For- well, it's probably the talisman. They make, <laughs> make
0: them forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think,
0: yeah.
1: It makes them forget, yes. And, and at a certain point, he says something like, and I'm just paraphrasing, something like, um, it's very good for Christianity to, to know astrology, because this way they can uh, obey the, way, the the will of God more, Uh, completely or something like that the the idea that astrology was would actually very good for a Christian yeah uh, which is uh, well it's kind of very interesting argument I would
2: say yeah I mean he goes all the way he's like no it's not just that it's useful we should be doing it because Mm -hmm. our enemies are doing it and if they're doing it we need to do it too he has yes. a whole thing about the Antichrist using astrology, saying, so that means we need to use astrology so we can fight against them.
1: Yes, <laughs> fighting fire with fire. <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they go on and on about the Antichrist, because um, every time that we, we address uh, something like prophecy in different mm-hmm. centuries, uh, they always talk about the Antichrist. So it's probably almost there, because every century yeah, we have this it. it's
0: Almost. <laughs> <laughs> almost
1: here <laughs> almost here yes <yeah. laughs> but, but the um uh bacon i mean he's um he goes all the way as you said and then at the same time he, in other in other parts of the book or in other of his works he seems to be more restrictive so to say so bacon is in itself could be like the a, a, a thesis by himself. oh yes very complex. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yes. I think I actually I think I could have done my thesis on any one of these people and still done had it just as long, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. These are major, major authors with a lot to say with these great presentations and defenses of astrology, great discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot to extract from their positions and their practices. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes,
1: and also Ptolemy, because people quote Ptolemy, but Uh, And sometimes they say that um, all the ancient astrology is very deterministic, but when we really uh, read Ptolemy, he says that uh, the astrological uh, chart is one, uh, one factor, and then we have to see other, such as family Mm -hmm. or condition or nation, as he has uh, other factors. And then he says somewhere else in in, uh, Tetrabiblos that that there are se- several uh, levels of causality. That's one of the things. So he's, he's quite complex, and people mm-hmm. sometimes quote him like uh, as if he's monolithic in his determinism, right. and he's not. So this is the interesting thing, I think, uh, that even uh, uh, older authors, earlier authors, are very complex. We can see that they have this very complex notion of determinism and other things but specifically determinism they are very complex and sometimes we don't find this in uh, renaissance for instance well in the good ones yes Mm -hmm. but then we have all this popularization of astrology and it becomes really simplified and deterministic and the Mm -hmm. the more simplified it is the more more deterministic deterministic tends to be yes yes that's true so that's that's an interesting thing Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and then that's what was one of the things that the church was more concerned about from what i've seen is that they're not so much concerned the big treatises on astrology those are read for people who usually know what they're talking about and the problem is when you have almanacs and very low grade uh, astrology <laughs> texts that have very strict things and
2: yeah the horoscope and, in the newspaper <laughs>
0: Exactly. Exactly. Then you have a lot of problems. <laughs> it yeah. becomes problematic.
1: Interesting, because we were the three of us trying to get move away from determinism and now we are being sucked
2: <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <Here> we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Anyway, so every every Large
0: one. Yeah. About, <laughs> every, very
1: large <laughs> elephant. Yes. We <laughs> <I'm> happy.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah um and um after your thesis um what else did you explore on on the topic of astrology or did you have the chance to explore a little bit more or did you change a bit your focus of research
2: so um i i mentioned it in the email that i when we were talking first to set up this meeting but um i byu idaho is actually a teaching university and so um, I, since I've been a visiting faculty I have been basically it's it's four classes well it's not right now it's not four classes but <laughs> because they've had to cut down everything to with the pandemic but um, a lot of my time is basically just doing my classes um, but I I did a couple of papers kind of elaborating on my uh, chapters in some of my chapters in my thesis and I did some stuff with roger bacon and his idea of rays the the source of the influence of Mm -hmm. astrology where the rays are actually being emitted and that's and we're collecting these rays and those are rays are actually physically real objects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i did a little bit more on that and then what i've been doing not as much as i would like i i've kind of shifted gears a little bit um and I have been doing a little bit of research on, uh, so how, how do I put this? On like perceptions of the night sky. So the idea of if you take a person who lived in Ptolemy's day, so a geocentric universe and a person who is a living in a heliocentric universe, how would they describe the sky? Would they actually be seeing the same things? And this has come from uh, it's kind of been something that's in the has been in the back of my mind since I started grad school. Uh, I was told it wouldn't make a good thesis topic, and so I kind of set it, kind of pushed it to the side. But since I've been out, um, I teach one history of science class here. That's it. And I, there's another uh, instructor who also teaches it, and we basically kind of fight over who gets to teach that class because <laughs> we both love it. <laughs> and so, but when I teach it, one of the things that I talk about is uh, the way that our perceptions change as we learn things. So like the discovery of the planet Uranus, they actually had Uranus plotted on in celestial almanacs for years before it was discovered, in quotes. Mm-hmm. And it's because they thought it was a, a nova or it was a comet, because there can't be more planets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and so it took someone who was willing to say, no, that's behaving like a planet. That's a planet. Mm-hmm. And and that just kind of started getting my mind thinking about, well, what is it that we see? I mean, how much is that affected by the beliefs that we have about astronomy? What does that really tell us? And so I started kind of gathering some ideas with this and this is going, it's not astrology as such, Mm -hmm. but it's because astrology is also affected by the culture in which it is. It's still kind of an extension of that same idea. Mm -hmm. My, my, my main passion has been, ever since I started studying the history of science, has been studying the transfer of ideas and how they move through cultures. That's why I didn't want to stay with just one person. I wanted to see that, that trend of those ideas. And so this is a, just another way of following those ideas. I, I've thought about going back to my, some of my dissertation work. I just haven't, I haven't had a lot of time, unfortunately. and. I don't know, I guess if my visiting faculty ends and I don't have anything else, maybe I'll have lots of time to work. But uh, that's been the main thing is that I've been doing kind of not, I haven't had a lot of uh, stuff that's actually been written, but I've been doing the research on it um, a little bit for about the last year or so. And if I can, I would like to work this into something that's actually publishable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just seeing where it goes and how far I can actually take this as an idea
1: that's extremely interesting because Mm -hmm. the way we perceive the sky, the the way we perceive uh, determines the way we receive the ideas about (laughs) astronomy or astrology Mm -hmm. and uh, often uh, we notice that um, people don't actually, for now uh, they don't actually look at the sky for instance, if we see the moon during the day, and sometimes we do like now and we point out and see, look, the moon, and people are very surprised because they yes. say, oh, the moon is at night. No, it's
0: it's not visible today. Of <laughs> yeah, I've had
2: students <laughs> who were shocked who were shocked by that. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes.
0: Which which tells and some and, and perhaps if if you, if you tell them if you ask the same person to explain the solar system, even if a very basic way, they will do it because that's what they learn. And there is we do not a, a, a cleavage between this, what people were taught in, 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 in school, the, the heliocentric solar system, all that notion that we, we have in the, the, and then the perception of the sky, if you look at it and you have the, the personal experience, and there's, a, there's a big gap there for most people, that things don't fit no, because it, it, it doesn't, you cannot, <laughs> it's two <laughs> different points of view and, and you cannot experience the, the, the one that you've learned with the one that you perceive. And, and I think that's a, that's a, a, a very interesting so there's this point detachment. to explore.
1: <clears throat> Even to the point that some people don't believe and, and they actually say, I don't believe that we can see the planets. Right. Uh, just go outside and see because- uh, There's a out there right now. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. it's in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, Venus in the morning. Exactly. So, so people have this, um, they live in, their perception tells them that this is a geocentric universe. And they were taught this is an heliocentric universe or system. They are both correct. They are just um, a different point of view. And so they cannot, they, 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 they cannot, haven't been um, taught
0: to, to connect yes. the two, I think. Right. So that, well, at least that's our perception. Yes. And we, throughout the years, when we look tell people, well, there are the planets, there's oh, Venus, it. there's <laughs> Mars. And, and
1: they are surprised, yeah. genuinely surprised. They're like, oh, but uh, we can't see the planets, really? <laughs> <I'm> like, no. <laughs> well, uh, are you familiar
2: with um, a, a man by the name of Asijzi? No. Mm-hmm. Okay, he He's not very well known. We know very little about him. Um, he's mentioned by Albiruni, and um, I read about him... I was first introduced to him by uh, Ingrid Heymeyer. And then I read about him a little bit more in a book on, oh, what's the title? Oh, I can't remember. It's a blue book. <laughs> the cover's blue. <laughs> That's all I can think of at the moment. But it, he basically, Al-Biruni talks about him as someone who has studied a heliocentric universe mm-hmm. and has a um, armillary sphere, or I can't remember what he has. He has built some instrument that mm-hmm. is based on the heliocentric model and he says, but he's showing that it's mathematically equivalent for them to be, for it to be either heliocentric or geocentric. Exactly. And it's not a big part of his, of Albertini's argument, but it seems like Albiruni's like, yeah, he does this, but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> <laughs> we know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just kind of mentioned. It. <laughs> yeah, it's like we just kind of mentioned it. And so like when I'm teaching my class, I one of the things I make sure my students understand is that we're not, when we talk about geocentrism versus heliocentrism, we're not talking about stupid people. Yes. Because, absolutely. you know, did you get up at this morning and go, whoa, the earth is really moving today. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you don't feel the earth moving. Yes. You go outside and you see the sun <laughs> moving. Yes, exactly. And so that's one of the things that kept me going. Like, what is it that we really know? Because we, if you ask someone, like you said, if you ask someone to just say, what is up there when you talk about the night sky, they're going to use all the right words. Mm-hmm but what do they really understand and what is it that they're really perceiving from it? And I just, I find that concept to be something really fascinating.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And they, they perceive this as something that is detached from them, not mm-hmm. a, a reality that mm-hmm. they can mm-hmm. experience. And also um, uh, the other thing that is very interesting is that people think, uh, I mean, non-historians um, often think that uh, when they discovered the heliocentric system, immediately uh, astrology was destroyed and everybody stopped right. doing astrology well these same people who were pushing the the heliocentric uh, model were actually practicing astrology and they kept doing it because it's just a different referential it's mm. just a different point of view and they are compatible that's the the interesting thing when we yes. when we look outside when we look to to the to the planets we are in our geocentric perspective. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then if we are outside the f- solar system or looking at this drawing of the solar system we will be like outside looking from the outside mm-hmm. and it's heliocentric. they are both correct and <laughs> they are both right yeah. <laughs> so th- this is interesting because people think of them like opposing and opposites mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mutually exclusive but they are not that that is also very interesting
0: yeah, it doesn't I change. Like say I was thinking ooh, there's someone who says, I think it's Campanella, who says something about that. It doesn't really matter if it's the, the earth in the center oh, yes. or the sun in the center. <laughs> I don't know the exact quotation. But I think it's Campanella.
2: Oh, okay, I haven't read much of Campanella. I know of him, but I haven't done much. He's too late.
0: Yes, he's it too it's late. A bit, it's yes. a bit beyond your usual time <laughs> range. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm also a medievalist, yeah, and I tend to to live up to <laughs> it, to the fifteenth century. Yeah, it's like I stop yeah. at thirteen hundred. We're done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but uh, it is Campanella. I, I don't recall the, quote, the the exact quotation. I remember this, yes. But yes. He, he does say something about that. It. it doesn't really matter if it's the sun at the center or the earth at the mm-hmm. center. The thing works in any way. Right. Uh, and it's that's quite an interesting view because we have very little um, reception of the, these new discoveries from Galileo because this is exactly the time I'm working. So... I don't see much discussion on <laughs> uh, on how does this change the, right. the, the, this. Uh, the only one that I saw, but I'm also focusing in, the, in a very select number of authors, but one that I saw, which is very interesting, um, this, this, his description is that um, he thinks, I have to recall his name, I have so many people. <laughs> In the thesis, um, yeah, he's he's oh, it's, the, it's a Jesuit that gets in a fight with Galileo on the, the matter of the sunspots. Oh, um,
2: I know who uh, you mean, and I can't think of his name either. I'll,
0: I'll I will I will <laughs> recall his name in a moment. And then he <laughs> believes that the sunspots are uh, small celestial bodies which are orbiting near the sun, and the, uh, there's another school which Galileo is with. It. It's no, it's it's really spots on the sun. Uh, And so he is talking against astrology by saying that if you have these bodies orbiting the sun and constantly eclipsing the sun, then by the rules of astrology, their effects should be extremely powerful because their eclipses of the sun, their their conjunctions with the sun affect the entire earth while an eclipse of the sun by the moon only affects a part of it where it's visible. And so he says, so what we know of astrology is wrong because we're not taking into account these conjunctions, which is a quite an interesting argument because he's attacking astrology using an astrological argument because there's something that we're not looking at, uh, of course, this doesn't make any sense because these are not planets, this is something else. And then he says, but because we cannot predict this phenomenon because the sunspots are highly, highly regular, we cannot really um, do any prediction, any astrological prediction with them because uh, we cannot we cannot create an ephemeris of, of the sunspots, of these bodies. No. So they are useless and they are constantly influencing and... Uh, Interfering with astrological judgments, but we cannot predict them, neither to the past, neither to the future. So any uh, conclusions that we reach are completely wrong. Which is, this is a fascinating this this whole argumentation uh, because
1: he uses astrology he uses yes. astrology it's almost like himself.
0: he's saying
2: even if we follow your rules you're still wrong you're still,
0: wrong. still wrong exactly yeah. by your own rules you're wrong because you're not taking this into account which is it's a very clever argument I'm. It, it is it is it's a very intelligent argument but it's one of the few examples that i've found uh, of this discussion uh, of these new findings and this change in perception coming into astrology and there are not many uh, as far as I, I figure it out uh, which is strange yeah uh, I it's mean, very strange we would expect that uh, the fact that there are suddenly other things moving there and changing there that it should have created more uh, more of an echo into how you conceptualize astrology and
2: it doesn't, there, <laughs> but not in
0: not that in the measure that you would think, which but is strange. But there yeah.
1: are there are there are some things that I think the the, the astrological system is kind of elastic. For instance, the the comet. Oh yes, we have, you have know a that. good example yes. that
0: we were we gave a lecture on this uh, when there was the, the 600 four hundred years of mm-hmm. the. Uh, the 1618 Comets, uh, still celebrating 1618 still Comets, <laughs> uh, 16, <laughs> comets. Um, there was this conference and we were talking, we tried to explore a little bit uh, what's the astrologer, what's the astrologer's point of view on this phenomena and we found a very interesting um, discussion which is there's a, there's this author, um, two Portuguese authors in this case, that's what we, we just selected a few cases and most of them do the, the um, predictions on the comet and, and the whole thing on the comet with traditional aristotelian principles and astrological principles and considering that it is a sublunary phenomenon but there's another one which is quite an avid astrologer and he says no this has been more than proved that it is not a so sublunary phenomenon so the question here is then how does it change the way you interpret the comet because the comet is not an astrological phenomenon because it's sublunary mm-hmm. it is caused by a astro- by movements of the, of the planets but it's not in itself something that has influence or any kind of effect it's a, it's a consequence of an effect um, but if you consider that it is a celestial phenomenon then it may it may puts it in a completely different category right. what he does for our surprise it doesn't change the interpretation it simply adds more information so what he says is because this comet is found by the measurements that they do by the parallax measurement around the sphere of mars then is some sort of emanation from mars so it has a martial characteristic
1: Oh. and that's it and that's it
0: and the prob- problem solved and he goes on and does a, does a standard and does not prediction of us comets. Of <laughs> and the, the thing just moves and adapts the narrative yeah. to the new evidence the which system
1: is, is elastic the system is absolutely very elastic. incredible uh, <laughs>
0: it,
1: well it's a very old system yeah very
2: well, i had never thought about the consequences of comets in yeah. the in a heliocentric System. Exactly. I would never because even considered that. That's interesting. Yes.
0: yes. Yeah. It's 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 all these changes that that we we see uh, going around, uh, and so back into your to your to your 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 project. And I think it's fascinating. I think it is interesting to understand these changes in perception, yes. not only throughout history, but. How does it affect? Suddenly, everything is different. And also,
1: the the other example would be when they discovered the four main satellites of Jupiter. Yes. And they said, well, if if Jupiter, if everything is around Earth and moving around Earth for our benefit, so if there are four small planets, Around
0: Jupiter, that's who is
1: benefiting from this? Is there people yeah. there? Is there someone there? So yeah such an interesting discussion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it is.
2: Yeah, I, I love um, when I'm doing my history of science class, teaching and showing them the pages from uh, Galileo's observations. I, I actually don't care as much for the dialogue on the two world systems. It's it's important, but. I, I really like his letters on sunspots and all of the diagrams that he does of the stars that he sees in the Milky Way when he first uses his telescope. Yes. I mean, those are the things I love showing because he's like, yeah, look, and Venus looks like this. Venus goes through phases just like Copernicus predicted it would. Yeah. I mean, it's just those, I love seeing those things and my students can understand it better when they can see what it is that he is seeing and understanding why this is so different. And like I have this little chart of his um, date night by night plotting of the moons of Jupiter and yeah. where they were and, and how yeah. they're yes. always yeah. only by Jupiter. So they're clearly tied to Jupiter. And so you can't argue that they're going around the Earth because they're always over here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's yeah. yeah.
1: so interesting
2: to see.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and what is amazing is that his telescope, the head of our department always says this uh, he, the telescope that he had. Is much, much worse than the telescope that any child now can have. Yeah. So it's really a bad telescope. It and is, it's a terrible. You know, one. Yeah. Well, he's actually probably lucky
2: that it is because since he was using it to look at the sun, he's probably lucky it wasn't oh, yes. a better one. Yeah.
0: Oh yes. That would be the end of his career.
2: <laughs> exactly. At least in one eye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if it's about
0: the telescope, we had images of Galileo with the, the pirate, you know,
1: I'll patch over his eye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poor man.
1: <laughs> oh, but you have also this interesting example of the telescope and the, the vision of Venus. Oh
0: yes, um, in this regard, yeah, I, I can send that paper because that one was published. Um, I we, we managed to find a paper uh, some years ago.
1: Also in Portugal.
0: <laughs> in Portugal, and uh, it's again, what Jesuit uh, who is making a report to the king on an eclipse of, let me see if I recall correct, sixteen fifty six. Think an eclipse. I'll take your word one. on it. <laughs> yeah, some, something around that time. Uh, he is doing a report to the prince, not to the king, but to the, to the prince, uh, to the prince heir and what he does which is quite amazing and as far as i know it's the only example of this kind that exists that has been reported so far is that he includes in his astrological interpretation of the eclipse observations of telescope and and what he does which is i think it's amazing is that he's looking at the planets with all those characteristics, the the, the Saturn with the two mm-hmm. um, the rings, which is right. still not identified at that period, the moons of uh, Jupiter and all of that. And what I think it's, the cha- what later will be called the, 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 ch- the famous channels of Mars because he's doing some mm-hmm. lines there that he doesn't know what it is. And what he does is he doesn't see any change. So he observed them, but he doesn't see any change. But in Venus... He sees something that we, we're not sure exactly what he saw, but he sees something that in his perception, uh, a, a sort of a shadow, we we think it might be an early observation of the clouds. We're not sure cool. about this. He, he clearly states that it's not a problem with the telescope because he checked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, he sees um, the a fig- a shape, a shape of a cross, which,
1: of, course, uh, of course of course of course <laughs> what else would it be convenient
0: which which changes Six-pointed into white star would be yeah. very convenient that it shifts into five segments which uh, which he identifies being as the five um Shield. shields which exist in, the, in oh. the portuguese flag in the portuguese uh, oh, flag, okay. Okay. And that period and so from there he incorporates that into his prediction of the eclipse as something that is interpretable because there was a change in appearance of the planet Venus.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: And it is quite interesting. And as far as I know, it is a unique example of this kind of...
2: Right, um, yeah. I, and here I you mean, can
0: see the two perspectives... Of uh-huh. a geocentric astrology an observation of the eclipse which is quite standard astrology practice mm-hmm. and then incorporating something that is observable only by a telescope and yeah. and the two are mingling in a very strange way but it's
1: you can, you can send it. I'll send you. I'll send oh, it yes, page. I would yeah. love to read it. Where was it published Early Science and Medicine? No, no.
0: no. Um, um, Journal of the History of sorry. Astronomy. Yeah.
1: Journal of the History but, uh, of okay. India.
2: Okay. Yeah, we, I would love to read um, that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. I've never heard of any astrological predictions using a telescope.
0: Yes, uh, we, we didn't either. Uh, and we, we tried to to find similar documents before publishing this, um, this paper, but nothing nothing no oh. reference at all and uh, speaking, mm. speaking
1: of perception uh the other great shift would be when they navigate to the southern hemisphere and see new stars yeah yeah it would also be amazing for yeah. for people to see oh, completely well different constellations
2: yeah um i'd say who is it seneca i think it might be seneca uh wrote back you know Rome, not not talking about Southern Hemisphere, but talking about the other side of the earth. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the What did he call them? The antipodians? I can't remember. He has a name for him.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: he's basically he's using it as a moral argument. But he's saying, you know, if but if, it's almost like he's talking about aliens. He says, what if there were people living on the other side of the earth? Mm-hmm. Would they get up in the middle of the night? <laughs> and would they sleep during the day? I mean, he's talking about them like, what will happen if there are people living on Mars? You know, it's it's those kinds of arguments that he's making. And it's so interesting because he's using it as a moral argument to say, there are people living in Rome who are living like Antipodians might, and they're not doing anything with their time during the day because they're sleeping. <laughs> 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 but I mean, that that conception of, first yeah. of all, that it's a spherical Earth, which You know, people keep saying, oh, everyone believed the earth was flat until the Columbus. I know. (laughs) I'm like, no, look, here is one. He's talking specifically about people living around the curve of the earth, and he understands that it would be dark over there when it's light over here. So, and he's not an astronomer. He's a, a philosopher. He's an ethicist, I guess you could say. And he's still, he understands that concept. And he doesn't, I don't, let's see, have I read anything about, I haven't read anything where, they talk about the different stars that are available, but I mean I'm assuming you're familiar with like astrolabes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Somewhat, at least, like the use of them.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so
2: you know they would they would actually have the different um what is the different it? latitudes. Yeah. The plates mm-hmm. that you could replace. So they knew that there would be shifts in the stars. Yes. And I don't know if anyone ever went far enough south, because you know, there's the fear that they had that you know Mount Kilimanjaro was gonna make their magnets stop working, their lodestones stop working. <laughs> so they didn't these, sail down that far very,
0: they really. Was, at, they, they started to navigate uh, quite early uh, with with the, the exploration of the coast of Africa. So I think from that point on, they started to understand that things are not exactly how they how they are. What I'm mm-hmm. finding in, in already in late 16th and um, 17th century is the discussion of then how does this work?
2: Right. What does it mean?
0: Now we have in completely different stars, and there is one that says this in a very poetic way in, in a uh, book. It says, "What meaning do, do have these these new stars, which are right. not in the codices of the ancient?" There's no, there's nothing old that that gives us tradition <laughs> on this meaning. So how can we attribute meaning to something that is on mm. the other side? It's completely different, and this is a very interesting question that they start to make in mid-16 to mid-first half of the 17th century. And there's a whole discussion, how does astrology work in the Southern Hemisphere? Because suddenly everything is inverted and the explanations of Ptolemy with the seasons reverse mm-hmm. completely. And so what do we do? Uh, but I think this is a discussion that, that was stopped because by the mid-17th century, astrology was sort of getting out of the scientific discussions so it didn't continue uh, long enough but you see that coming around and there are I think, exchanges and discussions and you have people practicing the south which is quite interesting saying well um campanella i think cardano says that we should oh. invert the system they propose oh. the inversion of the system at least theoretically and they say but we don't see that happening here. These are physicians who are using astrology in medicine. We don't see this happening but here. That's
1: also theory and practice, yeah. because the ones who proposed the, the complete inversion of the system were normally Europeans,
0: we and never, they were yeah. not.
1: And so the, the, the ones who were actually there in the Southern Hemisphere would reply, okay, that's a very good idea, but we don't see that in practice. Yeah. So it's this yeah. also
0: theory right. and there's, there's yeah. someone who says something like this, and I'm completely paraphrasing this. That if Ptolemy was wrong in other things, then probably his explanations for the, the associations of the planets with the, the signs through the seasons, are wrong as well, and the association is made by something other, some other explanation that we're not aware of, and this is quite interesting because at that time they already know that Tolby was not correct in many uh, in, in some of instance. his views of, of what would be right. the other side, and, and and there's an interesting discussion. And again, it's a problem, it's a question of perception, and how does that perception affect right. your reality, how you see the cosmos, and how the cosmos works. Uh, yeah.
1: So well, I think you have a great project in your hands. Yeah, it's hand. <laughs> yeah, like you're adding all this stuff
2: to it. I'm like, wow, I can just make this book like four volumes. <laughs>
1: you can, you can,
0: really. I feel really, I, I think you have uh, it's fascinating. interesting material to, to work. You know, with.
1: One, one of the things I always say this, it's one of the major shifts for me in my perspective, I might be wrong, but it's that uh, the ancient world was very organized because we have the spheres and we mm-hmm. knew... How they were in our perspective, no? I, we, we, I mean, you, we knew that was the moon, and then Mercury, and Venus, and and everything was organized in the in the sky, in the heavens, and in uh, on Earth, there were some parts that we were not uh, that were unknown and scary. You know, the, the new continents we were not aware of them, and the the sea was
0: the other was, side of the Earth, the Earth,
1: of the Earth was not there. So <laughs> we had this the earth was chaotic and unknown and the the skies were like regular and very Mm -hmm. organized and what we have now we know every little bit centimeter of the earth sort of sort of we have you know we have google earth and we can see (laughs) everything almost everything except the military bases (laughs) and then the instead of this concentrical spheres, the space is absolutely limitless. So this changes completely our perception, perhaps not our perception, because we were born in this limitless uh, universe. Mm -hmm. But for someone who had this idea that universe was concentric and uh, kind of protective of earth and God was outside looking at the universe. Heaven was heaven just few, heaven, yes.
0: some, some thousand meters Yeah, God out.
1: was just over <laughs> there looking at us. And <laughs> now we have all this small earth in an infinite universe. So our perception completely changed. Right. Yeah. Our role in the universe completely changed. And also we feel more like vulnerable, you know, to mm-hmm. this all this infinite <laughs> So it's a major shift. I think this is another volume. This will be the fifth. There one. you go. The, the, <laughs> the modern thing. Well, when I teach astronomy,
2: I one of the hardest things to get my students to understand when I teach astronomy is that there's no center to the universe. Mm-hmm. Because not not having something that is like an absolute frame of reference and everything is coming out from that center, whatever it is, even if it's not mm-hmm. us, there has to be one.
0: Yeah.
2: And so trying to explain no center, they... Mentally, even though they can say, they can repeat back the answers, they really Mm -hmm. don't understand. And it's because we want there to be something that is a center. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is, it's, even if you know what the answers are, really understanding them is, is much more difficult. And because I I started out as an astronomy nerd, that's, (laughs) I would go out in my backyard, I didn't have a telescope, but I would just go out in my backyard and sit there and look at the sky. Mm -hmm. And and when I went to college, I started studying astronomy, and I worked at the observatory on campus, and then I shifted over to a history instead, but still minored in physics. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've always had that. And so for me, I've just kind of been able to gradually add on and add on. But when I have students who've never studied it before and are now going, okay, so here's our solar system. I'm good with that. Here are the planets. Here are stars. Here's how stars work. Here's the galaxy. Oh, wait, there's no middle of our universe? What does that mean? <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, we have a center of our solar system, there's a center of the galaxy, there's a center, a gravitational center of our local group. Mm. But then you get out there and, like, there's no center. Like, yes, no, so there it. has to be one.
1: <laughs> it's very, very far away. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot see if it. If there is, we can't see it.
0: <laughs> you can't see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult to deal with all this dimension of the universe. It, it, yeah. we, cannot, we cannot compute.
0: Yeah, there's we a point not. where you Even understand that it it's big, but. The brain doesn't, doesn't yeah, process the brain anymore starts
1: like yeah it's very big it's, very big. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's big okay we're done <laughs> mm-hmm. but but uh, we we are also uh well nerds and proud <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. We, we also go out and we also observe we have we have a telescope and sometimes just with our eyes and we saw the mm-hmm. comet uh, lately oh
2: yes i did too i went out and i had to I, I couldn't figure out where it was in my backyard because I have there are trees and bushes and stuff around, and so all of the references, I, all the maps I was seeing, I couldn't figure out. And so I went out and I drove out like 20 minutes out into some potato fields, and <laughs> I got out of my car and I'm like, okay, where is it? <laughs> and I sat there for about 20 minutes, and then finally I saw it. And after that, yeah. I could find it every time. But
0: yeah, up yeah, to that we, point,
2: oh, I was like, I love can't
1: see it. Because, we, because it was a ho- higher than I thought. Yeah, well, and we, it's small. We were expecting yeah. something like oh, very spectacular. Yeah. We were seeing yeah. all
0: these pictures uh in the internet. Oh, I know. And then we, we, we did two or three attempts, I don't recall.
1: We had to go out of Lisbon.
0: Very early in the morning <laughs> and going to something. And <laughs> we couldn't see anything. I said, probably, probably we should do it a bit early. We don't know. Uh, and then finally it started to be visible after sunset, which is a bit more comfortable. Yes, that's what we I did experiment. it Experiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah and we
1: went at uh, 4 a.m. in the morning yeah. and I think we were trespassing some, I don't know. Yeah. We were like climbing and trying to see uh, above the lights of the city, but right. still it was yeah, very, it was very difficult.
0: difficult. We could only see it out in the field at so. night and then we were searching and then, ah, there it is. That smudge, <laughs> yeah, little that was much- smudge, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: We I have were, some uh, bin- large binoculars robot. I used. Yeah. I have some large binoculars that I used to oh, observe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. So that was yes. nice. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, that's that's the, yes.
1: Yeah. We, we went to this cape near the sea. It was very, very cold, but we were like, you know, there. Yeah. <laughs> and then we could see it also. So yeah. it, it was yeah. very, very and nice. And there
0: were people there. We had cameras with connected with the proper lens. Oh, and nice. They showed us, oh, see, there it is. And they had a, a better definition.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, nice. <laughs> all this, all these this event- is very adventures in astronomy. <laughs> yes, but for people in the twenty-first century, this is not very common because most people is detached from space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. They, they don't, they don't. Uh, they are sometimes not very interested in, uh, in this. We are mm-hmm. the, the, nerds that say, oh look, look, the, look there's yeah, this. And, <laughs> and yeah. people are like, oh yeah, and okay, people whatever. people
0: think, yeah, they don't think twice when they see a strange light in the sky. Which they don't know they, they, they don't know how to identify. And it's a right. basic planet, moon next to something, and they don't know oh it's it's a satellite. They usually oh it's just a satellite. No, it's not. It's a planet. No, it's not.
2: <laughs> well it's a satellite in the sense that it's something moving around something else. Oh, no, yeah. In that sense. Yes. In that sense, yeah.
0: it would be. Yeah.
2: But
1: not the satellite you mean. No, no, no. I think you have you have a great project mm-hmm. in your hands. Yeah. I I'm hoping I can'
2: start working, I just need to set aside time and say, okay, th- this is the time I'm going to work on it. Because if I wait until I actually have time, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, we no, no,
1: just have to do you it. You have yes. to do it, yeah. So,
0: yeah so, but
1: y- will you begin, uh, you said that you like to see how the ideas are transmitted. Uh, that's also what we do in our project. So uh, will you begin from, uh, let's say, antiquity and then go all the way to the- mm-hmm. uh, To the
2: modern, modern period is oh, what, I would, very
1: nice. so what I would-
2: the kind of my organization right now is having um, a little bit with pre-antiquity. you know, pre So really mm-hmm. old stuff mm-hmm. where we don't know as much as a lot more speculation and then do more with antiquity, Greek and Roman, um, do Islam because I have to do Islam <laughs> and then um, and then Renaissance and, and then move into the after doing like Newton and his Basic. He basically destroys that dis- disconnect between the earth and the mm-hmm. heavens, yeah. and then move into the modern age and actually talk a little bit about like quantum, the quantum revolution, and the expansion of the universe. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of to end with this is where we are now, and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. does that actually mean for our perceptions? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so then and uh, yeah.
1: how will, where do we go from here? That will be also interesting. Well, we cannot. You know, say. We don't know. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yes, so yes. I think I think that's of That is a very lot cool working. project. Well, very good luck for
0: the project. will be we'll be looking. We'll be attentively waiting for it.
2: <laughs> Hopefully, it happens before I die. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm stuck in the determinism again. <laughs> yes. Well, we are,
1: we are being pulled pulled back again. Yeah, I can't forget. I can't get away from it. <laughs> so yes.
0: Yeah. Oh well. Well, Terry.
1: I think we we will stop now. Otherwise, okay. we'll stay here until we'll Christmas. In, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, we will keep in touch. Thank okay. you very much yeah, for talking to Thank you very us.
0: much. It was a lovely conversation. Yes.
1: Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much also. And we will be in touch. All right. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you.